1: You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. EmailToolTester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like Active Campaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it, Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their Social Index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies.
2: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
0: One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck.
2: Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart,
1: and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Clayton Rubensall. He's the EVP of Global B2B Marketing at American Express. On the show today, we talk about what that role is and what he has accomplished at his time at Amex. Before assuming his current role, Clayton served as the head of global brand management, where he implemented the company's first global brand strategy at Amex, which focused on increasing price premium and engendering loyalty across the consumer, commercial and merchant customers. The strategy his team authored aligned human resources, operations, and marketing to deliver an authentic brand experience end-to-end. Prior to joining American Express, Clayton led the global marketing at the Ritz-Carlton, where he launched Let Us Stay With You brand platform, which put the luxury brand in the business of selling memories, not hotel rooms. On the show today, we talk about Clayton's prior experience in Amex, as well as Ritz Carlton and leading premium brands and developing brand strategy for premium brands. We talk about his current role and the work that he's been doing, launching more value-added utility to his marketing efforts through initiatives like Business Class Initiative that Amex has launched, as well as addressing uh, social justice issues in this country through programs like 100 for 100. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Clayton Rubensaw. Clayton, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Alan. I know I, it, it took us a
2: while to work through the technical hurdles, but we made it. We made it. We made it, and we survived. Welcome to the, the wild world <laughs> of COVID, where we're all self producers and internet technicians as well.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
2: Well, I always like to
1: start off these conversations with a little something personal, and I'd love to know where did you grow up? Where did you? Where, where did you get started in the world?
2: Well, I was born in Washington DC, specifically in Georgetown to two students there. So I have very young parents and my dad was in the foreign service, uh, growing up. So we, uh, moved when I was three to Thailand and lived all over the world with my sister and parents. Uh, we were in Thailand, Israel, Switzerland, and DC in between each.
1: Wow. That's amazing. How that's a, unbelievable experience to experience those different countries at an early age. Do you feel like you were able to take it in during that time or did it kind of just gloss over you? Just curious.
2: I, I think kids that grow up that way, it's either, either they love it or hate it. And I loved it. It made me so curious. And I'm really, I, I remember even as a little kid, being grateful for the experience, the adventure of living in rural Thailand or Bangkok or, traveling to switzerland or flying by myself to to tel aviv uh when my parents got divorced, <laughs> you know I, would, I was as a little kid i would fly back and forth between homes kind of like the uh the weekend warrior kids in the suburbs but my uh my suburbs were in uh, different countries often but i i loved it
1: that's awesome well let's talk about work how you're now the evp of b2b marketing at american express what was your path from boarding planes by yourself as a kid to uh to where you are today
2: well it's it's a it's a really great question because i feel like uh so many young people who i help with their careers want to know like what what's your career plan and what was your career path and i'm amazed by how many people um end up in jobs like mine who didn't have a path and i was one of those i was very fortunate uh, in college I was a creative writing major with uh, no plan other than hopefully to write the next great screenplay and uh, professor suggested a internship at Bates USA uh, now defunct but at the time big global advertising agency and I fell in love I've had that moment of really finding my calling. At a pretty young age, I I would say grateful. You know, as a junior in college, I turned a 10 hour week internship into a 60 hour week job. They couldn't get me out of there. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Worked in advertising for 15 years, most of the time at BBDO and Deutsch, two great agencies for different reasons. Deutsch really for the integration um, beyond any other agency I could ever think of, Um, you know, building websites and Becoming a direct marketing expert um, while also doing advertising that people think of, TV, online, everything in between. And then um, BBDO more for the big uh, global campaigns and big brand ideas. Uh, from there, I left and went uh, to Cliff Freeman that I ran briefly. Then uh ran a British mm-hmm. agency's New York office, uh, BMB, which was a great experience. Then I went client side, ran global marketing at Ritz-Carlton for four years, and then been at American Express uh, for six years now.
1: Wow. Well, and I, I, we got an opportunity to talk earlier, and you you have like worked and helped modernize two of the most... Um, flagship in my mind premium brands Ritz Carlton and American Express where how how did you um how did you approach trying to help refresh each of those brands if you don't mind
2: yeah listen i i'm so proud of had the good fortune of timing in both cases. Um, In in both cases, there was a a real need. In the case of Ritz-Carlton, it was about uh, coming out of the recession, the 08-09 recession, and needing to put the luxury back into the brand to command high price points again. And uh, when I came to American Express, it was the same thing. We were uh, facing three years of brand uh, value decline and uh, looking to to fix what was a really uh, clear problem, which is actually the clarity of the brand. Mm. And in both cases, um, there are two other similarities. One was uh, really, like you said, these are marquee brands. These are flagship brands with great, rich histories. And so in both of them... We reached into that history and found truths that we could bring to life. Um, in the case of American Express, it was all about the relationship and the idea that American Express has your back was something that was so woven into the DNA of the brand. You know, we were just wise enough to take something that existed and bring it to life in a uh, compelling way and in a modern way. Um, and also in both cases, we worked with the same uh, designer, Abbott Miller from Pentagram. Uh, to actually uh, express the brand through visual identity, bring our strategy to life. And um, I'm really proud of uh, the work in both cases, uh, especially with American Express, because I think it was just an interesting time where the, the brand hadn't gotten a facelift for uh, since 1975. And that was the last time oh. the logo had been worked on. And a lot happened since 1975. Chief among those happenings was the internet being invented. And, uh, you know, one of my big, big moments in the briefing to Pentagram was we need to, beyond everything else we need to do, making American Express feel very global, connected across business units, um, appropriate for the uh, audience again, affluent, but also inclusive to others. We needed to make sure that this brand felt like a big brand in a really small space world. How was it going to come to life in places like mobile phones? And, you know, at the time we were maybe overly concerned, but uh, but I'm glad we were with things like uh, watches and things like that to make sure that the American Express brand would come to life in a very powerful way and really proud of the work that we did.
1: Yeah, I mean, it- those projects, you know whether it's a refresh or even just logo um, updates, I mean, huge efforts when you think about the complexity of an organization like MX. Any tricks or um, advice on other, you know, other people trying to drive change across an organization like that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's actually the difference between success and failure is the change management. Right. A lot of people could sit down and write the right strategy on a piece of paper. Uh, many great, uh, designers out there could, could do the work. Many great ad agencies could bring the campaign to life. But the, the key to making it come to life and stick in a large organization is change management. And my biggest thing is, I would say, you want two things: you want to have time on your side. You don't. You don't want to have to rush a process like that, which you know that's a luxury that we don't always have. Sometimes we have to do this work because there's an imminent crisis. Something's happening with the company, something with the product, something with the competition, something with the external world. But if you have time, please use it. The other thing is. You know, Use that time to have true understanding of all the people in the business that this brand serves. And so Mm -hmm. my team and I spent a good six months talking to 60 different leaders around the world of American Express to understand how's the brand helping you? How's it hurting you right now? Where are you taking your business, whether that was the team in Japan or the JV partners we have in the Middle East or – uh, the people on the B2B side or the consumer side, we really took that all into account and made sure that people felt like we understood the needs that the brand would serve for them when we brought it to life. And um, I, I think that's, that's critical is how are you going to bring, bring not just the, the work to life, but bring the people around that work. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a, that's a key to success.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's critical. I'm curious, you know, kind of jumping around here a little bit on you, but like, as you started that process, not necessarily the, the buy-in and the the listening to stakeholders piece, but just the overall process, is there, is there a natural starting point for you um, having done it in two different organizations? Just curious, maybe where you get started on the path?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, the same place I, I would uh, start again if I had to do it again. Hopefully, that won't t- that won't be for a long time. But the um, but is what, what's the business problem to be solved? What what's the re- if you really understand that well, then it's a lot easier to not just do a good job with the solution, but it's a, also much easier to get people on board. If you don't have a business problem that you're solving, we're we're not commanding a high high enough price point. We're not differentiated from our competition. The mm-hmm. brand isn't clear enough in people's minds. If there isn't something that's costing people money, then there's really no burning platform and no need for them to get on board. And I think what, what you find without that is it feels like you're doing it just for your own purposes, for you know marketers doing marketing for mm-hmm. marketers uh, versus... Marketers doing work to serve a business purpose, serve stakeholders, uh, really drive value. And when you have it and you can draw a line clearly to it of like, hey, here's this problem with the thing that we all, you know, sometimes as business people snicker at like this brand in air quotes. Well, this brand right now used to make us more money than it's making us now. And here's why then people start listening and uh, it's easier to command some attention of senior level people.
1: Awesome. Well, switching gears a little bit, it's almost impossible to not talk about the year we've been living through. Um, How has this pandemic and just marketing in general changed in your mind or how has it affected marketing?
2: I I think it's accelerated things. Um, I don't think it's, change the basics of who we are and definitely not the job that marketing needs to do of making people aware mm-hmm. of a product or service that we need to sell, convincing them that we're the right choice, closing the sale and then doing it again. Uh but I think it, like all crises, provided a lot of opportunities for us to learn about our teams, um, who was really good and up for uh An overword use, overused word, the pivot. Um, it also, um, taught us, um, how strong our, our relationship as a brand was with our customers. And when you think about this crisis, it was, it was actually many crises. You know, it started as a health crisis first and foremost, then became a economic crisis with small businesses really, uh, really under fire. Then became a cultural crisis when George Floyd died. So, you know, I feel like for me and my team as marketers, it was three different uh, turns at the plate. Of uh, do we do we have the goods to deliver on the, this these crises?
1: Gotcha. And uh, it, w- when you think about like lessons you're learning at MX during this time, um, what what comes to mind there?
2: Yeah, I mean the biggest thing, Alan, is. You know, when, when the crisis started, I remember almost like you would expect in the first days, I was getting pinged with emails from every brand under the sun, brands that I had no relationship with, um, telling me why they were my best friend through COVID. Um, I had pet brands emailing me and I don't have a pet, you know, and every day. And, right. you know, like the last thing I wanted to do... As a marketer or for my business, was to come off as opportunistic. So my team and I paused, and you know we said, well, "Where can we be of the most assistance?" And what we heard from customers was a lot of small businesses were struggling with way more questions than answers. Uh, how do I get a PPP loan? Uh, how do I tell my team how we're going to work remotely? How do I engage my team more effectively in this remote uh, the world? What do I do about travel plans and the future of travel for my organization? Those were some of the first week questions that businesses were asking. And those are big questions. Um, You know, then it turned into how do I pivot it from a retail business to an e-com business? And (laughs) we very quickly said, you know, here's how we can help. We can start actually answering some of these questions. We have access to experts. We have access to other businesses. We have experts in academia that we could lean on some of the best minds in marketing. And so, we, we started dipping our toe in the water of, uh, this broader idea of how do we democratize that education? Just get that, that, that information out to people with a platform mm. that we quickly, uh, called business class, which was a little bit of a play yeah. on our travel heritage, but also literally a business class. Um, and what we found was, Huge levels of engagement. I mean, we were we went from pre-COVID sending out a uh, weekly newsletter out once a week and ten percent of people would open it to sending it out every day and thirty percent of people were opening it. And very quickly, it dawned on me that uh, it, it wasn't just our our brilliance uh, with with uh, the pen, but the the brand that had been built. By the, our our marketing forefathers, who had created Small Business Saturday and Open Forum, had really created credibility with the small business community that American Express was a small business ally and somebody to turn to in times of crisis. And for us, that was really helpful guidance. And we just kept going and going and going. We started creating video interviews with great small business people who were facing really big crises. Like we brought David Chang on to talk about the restaurant industry. And you think about somebody that was hit hard, um, somebody that's Deep into the restaurant category is somebody who has hit hard. You know, that's right. those are shoes that very few of us would want to walk in. But to have somebody like that or Ali Webb come in and talk about Dry Bar and how they were pivoting to get set up for COVID, and you know, every week we brought in somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. And in typical Amex fashion, we tried to bring you know real utility, something useful for people mm-hmm. to learn, um, bring it to them in a interesting way. So, you know, bringing it to them through Instagram, IGTV, but then also tried to bring the sizzle. You know, we don't want to make business education be something as dry as white white papers on chemistry. All due respect, I'm sure chemists (laughs) love that. But for the rest of us, I think the business world has become a really cool place. You know, you think about things like Fast Company or Masterclass or the money people spend to go to Austin and Good Times to South by Southwest. Business has become sexy. Um, you know, there was a time forty years ago where sports was calisthenics and and uh, fitness routines and regimens, and then Nike made it a lifestyle. And I think we're in that turning point with business as well, where business has become something that is worth being in. It's something where you know a really. Interesting guy that said, you know, we've gone from a world of people looking at their watch to see when they can leave the office to looking at their watch to see how long they can stay.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Well, I mean, I do love the approach that you guys have taken in building this utility, utilitarian content, if you will. Like, you're just trying to be helpful, right? Like, in this crazy time, you know, as a marketer, I step back from that and I look at it and I go, you know, it's also smart from a standpoint of like these are natural problems people are trying to solve and you're not only you know the sponsor of the content but you're the builder of the content as well and so as you think about like the future of marketing where we live in a content consumption environment um you know maybe the best
3: if you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand you need Futureproof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Futureproof, a the Kantar podcast now.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard.
1: Um, I don't, I don't know if you have any reactions to that just as a, a thought at this point, but
2: I have a very positive reaction to that. I think <laughs> that the, the, the utility is really important, you know, making sure that if if you're building out content and you know, I, I think most people listening would probably nod their heads to this and you're just slapping your name on something funny, then, right. you know, I think, you know, you get, you get a little bit out of that, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with a, a really funny Mountain Dew spot. It's, it's great. It makes you <laughs> laugh. It, it's fantastic. But um, in my mind, Alan, what's really useful for us to do as marketers is think about how we can add value to the company. And, and, and mm. I always talk to my team about, you know, like we sit at this intersection between what the business needs and what consumers need. And if we can be that overlap point, um, it could be powerful. And then the really high ground of that utility is, can you make it go on year over year? I mean, look at small business Saturdays on year 10. That work continues to be useful in driving foot traffic to small businesses. Started in the recession during 08 when that's the problem that needed solving. You know, the last thing people needed was another credit card. What they needed was customers coming in the door. And because it right. solved a real problem, it, it really uh, bred a life of its own and grew and grew and grew. I mean, I think uh, it's rare to find a marketing campaign that uh president tweets about. Um, but I remember <laughs> uh, I'll never forget when uh, president Obama at the time tweeted about, go out and, you know, shop small, this small business Saturday, that that's, that's very real. And I think the reason it's real is because it's useful in solving a problem. I think as we develop business class, it's the same thing. It needs to be useful. Now, I wouldn't confuse useful with not interesting. It, we sure. we are bringing a huge uh, production to life for next year to make sure that it is in the vein of masterclass and South by Southwest that it has the 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 sex appeal of something that you would get from any content out there you that you love. You know, because we're competing with all of that. So you know, if you wanted to be interested. You want people to be interested. You have to do something interesting. So I think it is that combination of, you know, yes, it should be useful, but you damn well better be interesting too. Or, you know, uh, what do they say that we see on average 4,000, uh, marketing messages a day. I think it's a really good night for, for our industry when somebody's going to bed, if they remember even one of them.
1: (laughs) True. It's very true. Well, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, we've gone through multiple crises this year, not just one. And, and one of them you mentioned was, you know, when George Floyd died, sparked just a social crisis, um, you know, a- another turn, I think, in that existing crisis. But like, and it accelerated a movement. Um, i curious, like how Amex thought about that moment. And I, I know you've started to work on initiatives and I want to hear more about it um your hundred for hundred as one example. But how did how did Amex think about it? And like it, tell me a little bit more about the hundred for hundred.
2: Yeah, I mean look, it, it was actually a really similar starting place to what I was describing, getting those petty mills at the beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. where, <laughs> you know, when when you know George Floyd died, we, you know, all, all good people's stomach sank. You know, it was this horrifying really sad moment for for us as um americans as humans and you know we had this moment at american express of gosh the last thing we want to be seen as is taking advantage of this like that would be the only thing that would make this moment icky to our employees which are really important to us to our customers who are really important to us but also just to the world you know we want to be admired not for just the products we put out but the kind of people we are and we we went back and we said same questions how can we help what's what's a real problem that can be solved that american express is uniquely well positioned to solve and Hmm. there were a couple things that stood out to us Um, the first was you know being a champion of small businesses um my team presented me with a, a piece of information that knocked my socks off do you know the number one group of entrepreneurs the the group of entrepreneurs creating the most businesses in this country is black women. Black women oh. are creating 763 businesses a day or they were when covid started. Mm-hmm. Um and what what that made us that that kind of head snap fact made us think was well gosh every every recession creates new categories, new big businesses, new brands, um, GE, IBM, PNG, Square, Uber, Facebook, all created in recessions. Maybe out of this recession, this crisis, the next big things are going to come out of businesses that are run or owned or started by Black women. So we started this program 100 for 100, not To give charity, but to invest in what we see as the next winners out there. Um, I just had lunch with 10 of them yesterday and it was inspiring to meet women that are in businesses from fitness to food to technology, global payment remittances uh, from all over the country talking about the same thing that every other business is talking about. Um, You know, they need to get more customers they need to keep their current customers they need funding but what's different with when you think about black owned businesses is mm-hmm. black owned businesses represent 9% of the businesses in this country but only 1% a little bit over 1% of revenue from small businesses that wow. gap is because of systemic racism um there's no doubt about it they are Less likely to get loans. They are less likely to to have a business network when they're starting their business. They're less likely to equal to other businesses to have the, the 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 full knowledge of what it takes to run a business. Usually, most small businesses, black or white or Latinx, women, men doesn't matter. Usually, start a business with one superpower. I'm really good at cooking. I'm really good at being an architect, um, or I have a real need. I got to put food on the table, so I'm going to start a Business in any of those cases, what they're missing generally is all the other things that they need to know. How do I fill out my forms for the government? How do I open a location? How do I mm. lead a team? How do I do my marketing? And so that was the other big part of Hundred for Hundred was giving these women mentorship and education. Um, mm. But it's a holistic solution. When you look at American Express, we made a a, a billion dollar pledge over five years to do everything from helping with Funding, helping with mentorship and education, helping with uh, spending more of our own money with black-owned businesses. We spend a lot of money as a company, so we're looking at it very holistically and and long term. You know, the five year commitment is just a start, in my mind, but it's a really good one to make sure that this conversation isn't you know something that that spikes in our consciousness for six months after this awful incident, this murder of George Floyd, but mm. is something that. Really helps people, and so there too we tried to be very specific. we said over five years we're going to help two hundred and fifty thousand black owned businesses that represents about ten percent of the total of uh black owned businesses in the country, and then this hundred for a hundred is a way to get even sharper on that with supporting black women entrepreneurs
1: oh, that's amazing amazing and it, I mean if you just think about that the initial stat you threw out, which is you know nine percent of businesses are Black-owned but only account for 1% of revenue. Um, you know, just closing that gap is a it's a 9x multiplier on, on those communities. Yeah, and communities. it's going to take a lot, yeah.
2: Alan, right? It's right. not going to be right. – there's no silver bullet to that. Um, right. You know, it, It's everything from building credit as early as other, um, other people before they even think yeah. to start a business. Um, yeah. It is about creating a network for them. Um, it is about how do we uh, make sure that even the algorithms don't have biases in them um, across mm-hmm. our country? Because it's all connected. It's not even, it's not even uh, like, you know, it's, it's not like we could go to one place or one computer, as it right. were, one physical right. computer and fix <laughs> right. this problem. It's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And, you know, hopefully that's the good that comes from this awful thing yeah. is that we start fixing some of these big problems.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a, a valiant effort, and um, I, I look forward to tracking the progress with you guys and and see what see what comes of it. That's awesome.
2: Well, we can well, we can uh, we can send you my team's little tracker that we send to my boss every week. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd
1: be interested in that. Um, well, I, I want to switch gears because we love to get to know the person behind the microphone as well as you know what they're doing in business and marketing. Um, and my. Most favorite, I guess is the right way to say that, the question to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today?
2: I think it would be my moving around so much as a kid, living in so many different countries, uh, in so many different cultures, uh, some of which where, you know, I moved and didn't know the language, didn't know anybody, made me not just adaptable, but really curious about people. And I think that shaped my worldview and made me interested in people, made me interested in people at a really deep level to understand what motivates them, understand what, you know, what great things they have going for them, what challenges they have going for them. Um, I think that that is uh, something that's sincerely always interested me. Um, It's why I make sure that I travel a lot with my kids as well, because I think it's good for us to... Have a wide aperture when it comes to what's going on in this world, but I would say that's the number one thing that shaped me.
1: What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over again?
2: Oh, not to get stressed <laughs> over little things. Um, you know, when <laughs> I think about the the panic attacks I had as a whether it's a 22 year old or a 32 year old over things that I wouldn't remember a month or two later, uh, I, I think you know, when you're facing a challenge for the first time, it always seems like a really big deal. And I I would say, you know, try to be more even with the, uh, the rolling waves. Don't, don't let every, uh, new, (laughs) new, new, uh, challenge that, that gets in front of you feel like a crisis.
1: Yeah. Is there anything that you've changed about yourself to better deal with that, better adapt, or is it just, you know, learning through the the early stress to realize that really wasn't worth stressing about. Um, just curious if there's other things you've done as well.
2: Well, I mean, this is going to sound like a real non sequitur, but Mm -hmm. when I, (laughs) uh, first got a really senior position, I was talking to, um, a woman who I had worked with for a long time, Nancy Hill, who at the time was the president of the four A's. And I said, Nancy, what's your advice to me? And I thought she was going to give me, you know, Typical leadership advice, you know, like how to lead a team, how to stand and deliver, how to make sure that clients, uh, you know, would flock through my doors as CEO of an agency at a young age. And uh, her advice had nothing to do with any of that. She said, my advice is for you to work out every day so <laughs> that you take care of your body uh, so that you have the stamina to to make it through your days. And and I have. I've worked out uh, every day. Come hook or crook, uh, no matter what my travel plans are since. And, you know, it's for the it's for my soul, it's for my body. Um, but also I think, you know, it it's really important. The the working world is not for uh the faint of heart. It's it can require a lot of stamina, especially if you're in a global job where you're traveling a lot. And it means a lot to everybody you work with that you show up with a smile on your face and a can do attitude every day. And it's hard to do that if you're not eating well, sleeping well, taking care of your body as well.
1: That's the best advice I've heard in a while. And I 100% agree. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, My next question is probably the silliest question I ask these days, but I like building my shopping list, especially as we head into the holidays here. Um, So curious if there's been an impactful purchase you've made of $100 or less, say in the last six to 12 months.
2: I think the best thing I'm going to be really honest with you. The best thing that I've bought in the last month is a notebook. I'm a big my my wife uh runs a stationary business and so i'm i'm really big into paper and tactical th- tactile things yeah. and there's this uh notebook called roll bond um they're gridded they come in every size but the paper is beautiful the outside is is sturdy it has little pockets in the back and so i have a whole bunch of them now and i think they're about 25 each but they're uh exceptional notebook
1: (laughs) i need to i need to check that out i am a i i um am one of those people that still uses a notebook to take notes myself and uh i'm always looking for a better notebook so i'll have to check it out thank you there
2: you are you're welcome
1: well um uh, last two questions are more marketing related um I, i tend to think marketers are observant of the world that's going on around them and i'm curious if there's any you know, brands or companies or causes that you follow you think other people should be taking notice of?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I I think it it's been a really interesting year, right? So I'd be um I'd be remiss if I didn't didn't uh talk about uh some non typical ones. One of the ones that I think I I admire right now as a marketer is the Lincoln Project. I think that what what they've done um, to assemble talent and get messages out quickly. And, you know, again, kind of what we were talking about earlier, they were delivering what they thought was a really useful message. Um, mm-hmm. but they did so in super engaging ways. They looked at the right channels. They created conversation. They did everything we want to do as marketers, had a big impact. So I would say the Lincoln Project would be, uh, the, 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 the top of my list as far as brands that, that, that I admire right now. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, I need to check. I it was only in the last couple of weeks that I, they hit my radar for some reason, but they do seem like they're doing phenomenal work. Just think in their own words, holding accountable those who, who violate their oaths to the constitution. Um, yeah, I mean, and look, and, and our, it's not even just a- safe
2: and to me it's yeah. not a and you're exactly right alan i mean that was the message they wanted to deliver but they delivered it you know with billboards of uh right. jared navanka in times square and it's not a political comment
1: well last question for you is you know, what do you feel like is the either largest opportunity or the biggest threat facing marketers today
2: I think we're we're our own biggest threat. I think if we uh, are too navel-gazing in our approach to what works in the world, we're going to have a problem. And that problem is going to be our own little echo chamber where the marketing we're doing is for – The One Show and con, and, um, you know, the people who see it are going to be our friends at other agencies and other marketers at other big brands. Um, And we got to get out of that. We got to get into a place where we're part of the real world. Our our talents, being able to create big brand ideas, being able to drive customer behavior, better yet, change customer behavior are really, important. They're important for social causes, Uh, you know, talking about George Floyd and things like that. Um, Some of the work I've done through my career that I've enjoyed the most have been on social causes or political causes. They're important to drive commerce and business, to create jobs, but they're only going to work if you're connected with not just the world, but the rest of your company. So, this is really a client side comment, but I would say, hmm. you know, marketing uh, is going to be painted into a corner if we continue to think about integration as between the parts of marketing. We need to go to a world where we think of integration as how do I integrate everything that's in this company, HR, operations, and then marketing. And if we do that, We're going to find ourselves collaborating across the company and playing a really essential role. collaborator of how do I make sure that I understand the needs across all the people who work at this company, why they work here, why they continue to work here, um, the products and services and technologies we develop, and then lastly, what we say to customers and how we engage them. And if we do that, I think we'll find ourselves being critical To the companies we work with success whether you know you're on the agency side or the client side why that's important is it'll keep paying the bills
1: (laughs) so smart well clayton thank you so much for coming on the show
2: it was such a pleasure thank you alan i'm a big listener and i love podcasts and uh it's the first one i've been on so thanks for having me
1: hi it's alan again marketing today was created and produced by me If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.
3: If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.